Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The flickering of the library lights was tantamount to blaring alarms. Larissa groaned internally as she brought her head up from the desk. It was well past midnight at this point, not an unreasonable time for somebody her age to be awake, but unpleasant nonetheless. Once she spotted it, she had no idea how long the shadow had been there. The shadow was tall and flickered along with the yellow library lights. She had to turn her head only slightly to see what, or rather who, cast it. A tall man as disheveled and tired as she was. He met her eyes with a sheepish grin and a small hand wave. His dark clothes were wrinkled like they'd been slept in. His tawny hair wasn't much better. Must like he'd been running through wind. She could practically smell the caffeine rolling off of him. Sorry, he said. I hope I didn't scare you. Rolling his bag off of his shoulder, he slunk into the seat across from her. The only thing Larissa had to fear was embarrassing herself in front of this oddly attractive stranger. He wore circle lens glasses that would make anybody else look dorky. On him, they looked sophisticated and mature, even with the small crack running through one lens. His eyes, bloodshot as they were, were the most startling green Larissa had ever seen. The way the lights wavered seemed to set his features in uncertainty, like his eyes wouldn't be in the same place if she looked away and back. Or maybe it was her lack of sleep that made her think that. Not at all, she said, pushing a hand through her black hair. Hand to her mouth, she stifled a yawn. That made the stranger smile. You too, huh? Larissa nodded. Well, you know how it goes, she said, raising her arm in a stretch. What class are you studying for? The man reached into his bag and produced a human brain, plopping it down on the table with a satisfied smile. Neuro 320. I have to be able to name every line and squiggle on this thing by tomorrow. Larissa eyed the model. Perfect timing, huh? To be... Carrying around a brain, I mean. The stranger's eyes crinkled as he smiled. I guess so, he said. This is about as much as I'm getting into the holiday spirit. What? Larissa asked. No trick-or-treating? He shook his head. I wish, he said. For some reason, people are a lot more comfortable with little kids knocking on their doors at night than grown men. You can knock on my door, I wouldn't mind. The man smiled, that same crinkle around those gorgeous green eyes. A blush grew across his cheeks and his gaze alternated from the table to Larissa. Oh, 
I'm, uh, I'm flattered. Larissa sat blankly for a moment. Had he just read her thoughts? Just what was he studying in that neuroscience class? Huh? She asked. He raised a hand to the back of his neck. I mean, I hope it was a compliment, he said. All Larissa could hear was the insufferable buzz of the lights above her own heart. She counted seven beats before she came to the awful realization. One more terrifying than any amount of Halloween staples. Did I say that out loud? The man's eyes opened a little wider. Did you not mean to? He asked. Larissa considered hiding under the table. Her hair fell into her face as she withdrew on herself. I'm so sorry, she said. I'm just super tired and sometimes I say things without thinking and... Don't worry about it, the man said, cutting her off before she could dig that hole any deeper. Really? He paused. You could knock on my door too, he added with his voice softer now. If she hadn't been able to focus before, there was no way she'd be able to now. It took her a moment to build up the courage to look the man in the eyes. I'm Darren, by the way. My name's Larissa, she said. That moment, right there, could have made up for all the sleeplessness in the world. Could have. But it ended too soon. Muffled words of alarm rang out from somewhere in the library. Larissa's head flit toward the noise. Around a shelf hurried a group, talking frantically in hushed tones. Their shadows passed them, also distorted by the bad lighting. She watched Darren's neck crane towards them as they walked past, then returned to her once they'd gone. What do you think that was about? He asked. Occam's Razor said there was a multitude of sane reasons college students could be acting as they were, but the worry on their face was far too severe for a bad test score. I don't know, Larissa admitted, watching the way they'd left. She turned back to Darren. Do you think we should be worried? She asked. Well, I hope not, he said, dark brows kneading together. Shootings don't really happen in the middle of the night, right? He reached into his pocket and pulled out a phone. He pressed it once, twice, but nothing happened. Ugh, it's dead, he cursed. Do you have your phone on you? Larissa shook her head, embarrassment setting in. I forgot it at home. Of all the days to come unprepared, Darren pursed his lips. I'll be able to find the news on the school computer, he said, rising swiftly from his seat. Wait here, he said, hands outstretched. Where else would she go? Leaving her corner of the library seemed not only stupid, but terrifying as Darren strode to a wall of monitors and aggressively wiggled the mouse. He smacked on the keys like they owed him money mouth moving almost imperceptibly every time it took more than a second for something to load. Had the flickering always been this loud? Or was it fear just making it more perceptible? Darren read something. He had to have. What other reason would there be for the way his face blanched 
and body tensed. He looked toward her, dread etched on his handsome face. He froze completely. The only things moving were the shadows that hitched in sync with the lights. Larissa hadn't realized how noisy the lights were until they were all off. Darkness overtook the building. No light, no more buzzing, but there was still sound, the slap of frantic footsteps disappearing down a black hall. Larissa sighed and rose from her seat. This certainly threw a wrench into things. Stalking past the computers, she didn't have to wonder what had sent Darren into such a panic. She knew exactly what she'd see if the screen lit up. An alert of some kind. An APB. What were they called? Well, it didn't matter. She knew what would be in it, regardless of name. Cynthia Barlow. Next to a name would be a picture. A mugshot, to be more specific. It would be of a pale young woman with long black hair and big brown doe eyes. Cynthia reached into the pocket of her pants where the knife had practically been burning a hole. Its weight in her hand. She felt much better. She stretched stiff legs as she haunted down the halls. With that insufferable buzzing gone, it was easy to listen for footsteps. Her mouth split into a smile and a laugh escaped her lips. She doubted Daring could hear her, but whispered the words anyway. Trick or treat. Oliver woke with the start to someone calling his name. Was it his parents? Maybe it was from his dream. The room was pitch black from the midnight darkness and he lay quietly, listening for the voice. A faint scratchy whisper drifted up to his ears. Oliver. Oliver. The voice spoke. Oliver shivered. Was he still dreaming? The voice sounded like it came from directly under him. Oliver wrapped the covers protectively around him and peered over his bed. Oliver, the voice continued. The night surrounded Oliver in darkness, so it was difficult for him to see. And suddenly, a scraping noise followed the voice. It sounded of nails scraping against his wooden floor. Oliver had enough of this terror. He threw the bedsheets off of him, grabbed his lucky bear, and sprinted downstairs. Daddy? Daddy? He yelled. His parents sat on the sofa watching TV. Hey, buddy. What is it? His dad asked, concerned, as Oliver jumped onto the sofa. I'm scared, and I think a monster is under my bed. It keeps saying my name. I can't see anything, and I'm, I'm just really scared. Oliver babbled, clutching his bear tight. His dad shared a look with his mom, while his mom scooted closer to Oliver. Monsters don't exist, honey, she says, smoothing his hair away from his face. His dad lifts Oliver up and places him on his lap. Oliver, how about this? I'll check your room for monsters, and then you'll see that there's nothing in your room. Will you be okay then? Oliver nods and grabs his dad's hand, dragging him upstairs. 
His dad proceeds to turn on Oliver's bedroom light, looking through the closet, under his desk, and under his bed. <laughs> you see, kiddo? Nothing in here but us, his dad said. Now, let's tuck you in and get you to sleep. Oliver felt more relieved. He knew his dad would tell him if he found a monster. It was probably just his imagination. He was probably just half-sleeping. Oliver crawled into his bed while his dad kissed him goodnight, turning off the lights and closing the door. Oliver lay in bed for a long time and began to doze off when he heard it again. The same awful scratchy voice coming from underneath his bed. Oliver. Oliver hid underneath his covers. What should he do? He wanted to believe his parents when they told him monsters weren't real. Why would they lie to him? Oliver knew there was only one way to prove it. He had to see it for himself. Oliver sucked in as much courage as he could muster, grabbed his lucky bear, and climbed out of bed. He lay on the ground and peered underneath his bed, but darkness covered his sight. The voice spoke again, but it sounded further away. Distant. Maybe if he crawled further under the bed, he would be able to find that voice. And so... Oliver used his elbows to begin to inch forward underneath his bed, and suddenly he began to fall, tumbling into oblivion. He didn't know which way was up, right was left, up was down. He kept spinning and spinning and spinning. A terrifying darkness surrounded him, and all he felt was a sensation of falling down, down, down. He didn't land with pain, but rather it felt like landing on foam. His mind was still spinning and he squeezed his eyes shut. Be brave. Just be brave, Oliver. Oliver took a deep breath and sat up, clutching his bear, and looked at his surroundings. He was surrounded by trees, but these trees were different from any he had ever seen. The trees were encased with cobwebs, and most of them appeared dead. Their bark was peeling and the leaves were non-existent. The ground was a spongy material that felt of foam. The full moon was the only source of light in the inky darkness that engulfed him. Oliver walked around, searching for anything that could help him understand where he was. As he was walking, he heard that same voice again. Oliver, the voice whistled through the air. Oliver looked at the trees, trying to find the caller. Whoever was calling him must know where he is, and probably knew how to get home. With smug determination, Oliver followed that voice. He tore through the dead forest around him and listened to the scratchy voice calling out to him. He ran and ran, his bare feet sprinting on the squishy ground. The voice finally led Oliver to a house. Smoke blew from the stone chimney, and the house was composed of an auburn wood. There were no windows on the house, and a single stone pathway led to the large front door. Oliver ambled towards the door and put his small, sweaty hand on the metal doorknob. Taking a deep breath, 
He turned the doorknob and pushed open the door. His jaw dropped from the scene that lay before him. Creatures of all different shades, textures, and colors sat around a rectangular wooden table with a fire roaring at the end of the room. Some of the creatures were covered with fur, and others were scaly like a snake. Some had claws as long as his hand, others had paws like a bear. Some had sharp, frightened fangs, and others were toothless. Oliver, we're so happy you could join us. One of the creatures spoke. Oliver recognized the scratchy voice. It was the creature that called him here. The creature stood up and sauntered over to him. He was covered in a deep olive green fur, and his hands were the size of Oliver's head. He had long, sharp claws and stood on two enormous legs. His teeth were pointy, with a murky yellow color. His large eyes were wide, and his black pupils were as dark and endless as the night. Towering over Oliver, he spoke. Oliver, please join us. We're just starting our dinner, he says, gesturing to an empty chair. Oliver cautiously walks over to the chair and sits down on the edge of it. All of the creatures around him stare silently as he sits. I... I think I want to go home, he whimpered to the monster. Can you... help me home? Oh, of course, of course, the beast says. But why don't you stay for dinner? Well, you've come all this way and we would hate to kick you out. Stay a little bit, and then I'll take you home. The monster grinned with his rotting teeth, saliva dribbling down his lips. Oliver gulped and looked down at the table. He just now noticed the loads of food stacked on top of the table. Turkey, green beans, mashed potatoes, fruit, cheese, hamburgers, french fries, and even ice cream. He had never seen so much food in his entire life. The beast that spoke started spooning every possible option onto Oliver's plate. Once the monster finished and sat down in a seat, the other creatures broke their stare from Oliver and started spooning food onto their plates. Oliver picked up the fork that sat next to him and tasted the ice cream on his plate. Mint chocolate chip his favorite. Now that the monsters were no longer staring at him, he felt giddy. These were nice monsters, he thought. Why would they feed him his favorite food if they were bad monsters? Oliver soon forgot about where he was and started gobbling up every morsel on his plate. Once he was finished, he realized that the monsters weren't eating their food. They were staring at him again. Oliver felt the nervousness and uncertainty return. He clutched his lucky bear harder. He shifted in his chairs and pretended not to notice the stairs. His gaze moved around the room to avoid eye contact and the hideous beasts until something caught his eye. He froze. Sweat slid down his neck and his hands started shaking. On the top of the very high ceiling was a chandelier. 
Human skeletons decorated the chandelier, with their hands attached to the outside, their legs dangling in the air, forming a circle around it. Oliver jumped out of his seat and his breathing became labored. He started backing away from the table. Please, just let me go home, Oliver whimpered. The monsters continued their cruel gaze, and the creature that spoke grinned. Oh, we will let you go, the creature smirked with his jagged teeth. After we have our dinner. No, Oliver sprinted towards the door. He didn't care if he didn't know how to get home. He just needed to get out of this house. He reached for the door and with a sweaty hand clutched the doorknob. He flew the door open and felt a flash of freedom until he felt a sudden thump on his head. And then, everything went black. Oliver's dad yawned, stretching out his arms. A wave of exhaustion swept over him, and he just wanted to go to sleep. Kissing his wife on her head and telling her he was heading to bed, he meandered out of the living room and towards the bedroom. He should probably check on Oliver before bed, he thought just to make sure he fell asleep after having that nightmare. Oliver's dad sauntered up the stairs and cracked open Oliver's door. Oliver lay in what seemed to be an enormous bundle of sheets and blankets, with even his head covered. His teddy bear lay next to him. His dad smiled, thinking the extra blankets were Oliver's way of protecting himself from his imaginary monster. He silently closed the door. What he didn't seem to notice was the olive green fur that peeked out from under the sheets. The monster reached a hand out from under the blankets and snatched the teddy bear that was next to him. He grinned to himself, licking his lips. He couldn't wait for breakfast. Henry finished unpacking the final box into the kitchen of the new house that he and his eight-year-old son, Jacob, moved into. He could not afford his old house, so he found the cheapest one on the market. It was old and run down. It was the kind of place you'd imagine an alcoholic like him would live in. It had a few rooms, a kitchen, a bedroom, a bathroom, and a basement. The exterior walls might have been blue once, but are now black with rot and mold. It was hardly a place for an eight-year-old to be in, but Henry's wife left him long ago. Obviously, Jacob was unhappy with the move, so Henry decided to go check on him. Henry went to the bedroom, which was unbelievably small, with one window and two beds miraculously crammed in. Hey, Jacob. How you doing? Jacob did not reply. Instead, he looked down at his teddy bear, named Mr. Joey. Would you like some water? No reply from the young boy. Well, how about you, Mr. Joey? Do you want to have a tea party? Sounds fun, right? Henry said, ruffling the teddy bear's head. Daddy? said Jacob, looking up at Henry with big brown eyes. Why did mommy have to go? 
Because... Son, she just had to, Henry said not knowing what else to say. Henry went into the kitchen to make some dinner, which was half a box of mac and cheese. They sat at the table for a while without saying anything, and finally, Jacob spoke up. Daddy, when do I go to school here? Jacob, sweetie, we can't go to school here. Well, why not? Why can't we do anything? Jacob, lower your voice. I didn't even want to come to this stupid place. I hate it here, and I hate you. That night, Henry drank enough beer to give alcohol poison to three grown men. Depressed about what his son had said, he cracked open another can. After a couple of hours of sulking on the couch, he grabbed some of the empty cans to take down to the basement. He dumped them into the trash can at the bottom of the stairs. A glass bottle missed the can and shattered as it hit the floor. Shit. He tried to pick up the broken pieces, lost his balance, and flopped to the floor with a grunt. Face against the concrete, he was looking at a rectangular shape covered by cloth. He painfully stumbled to his feet and took the cloth off of the shape. It was a mirror. He took it into the bathroom and hung it on a wall where it might have been once. He felt better when he looked into it. Maybe the father in the mirror was a better one than him. He reached out to the reflection of himself. And suddenly, Henry found himself standing in the kitchen. Something seemed different though. The walls were moving, breathing even. Colors would change and he had an odd feeling of uneasiness. There were very few details changed from that of reality. It was like an abstract version of the world that he knew. He started feeling a bit queasy, like being in this place made him sick. He walked around. When he opened the bedroom door, he saw one of the beds was on the side of the wall. The window was no longer square, but triangular. He closed the door and went down into the basement. It was a dark, horrible room, the darkness of the shadows consuming it. What little you could see of the walls were seeping red liquid through the cracks. There were four figures standing in this awful room. Dark, tall, inhuman shadows posing ever so crookedly. They stared at him with huge holes where eyes should be, not moving an inch. Henry ran back upstairs, longing for his old, run-down house and praying those horrid figures would stay where they were. He reached the bathroom and looked into the real world that was in the mirror and pounded against the cold surface. Now, in reality, Henry ran towards the bedroom wanting to curl up in the covers with his son until day broke. He swung open the door to see a horrific sight. One of the figures was standing by the foot of one of the beds, in all of its dark, emaciated beauty, staring at Henry's baby boy. Henry stood there with a feeling of pure fear in his stomach. Within a moment, the figure had fled out of the window with impossible speed. Beer in one hand and a hammer in the other, Henry stood at the front of their house, he swung the hammer at the mirror and shattered it into a million pieces. 
The pieces caught the light of the sun and danced around his face and sailed across the street. There was no way he would let that thing in the house with him and Jacob. Henry made breakfast, which was the other half of mac and cheese box that they had the day before. He made sure to set an extra chair for Mr. Joey. Did you have a good sleep, Jacob? I'm sorry, Daddy. I didn't mean to say that last night, Jacob said, sobbing through tears. No, Jacob, I'm sorry. They held each other until they both stopped crying. As nightfall approached, Henry's stomach sank so low it must have been in his shoes. The thoughts that flew through his head were enough to give anybody nightmares. He and his son went to brush their teeth, and that's when he saw the mirror hanging from the wall, and it was perfectly intact. What's wrong, Daddy? Jacob said. Um, nothing, Jacob. Just, just go to bed. So they both went to bed without brushing their teeth. Henry tried to stay awake. He didn't want to fall asleep. He was afraid of what might happen if he did. Of course, he must have fallen asleep at some point, because he opened his eyes and he was curled into a ball. He felt sick. He slowly looked towards his son's bed, and there it was. That evil figure straight out of hell. It was standing at the foot of his son's bed. It slowly turned its head toward Henry. It grinned a horrifyingly large grin, showing a million little razor-sharp teeth. In a flash, the thing was gone again. Henry would never forget that malicious smile. He stormed into the bathroom and smashed his fists against the mirror and stood in the kitchen of the abstract reality. He walked towards the basement and saw three figures standing in the dark room. What do you want? Henry screamed at the top of his lungs and they all looked at him and smiled. We want the child, they said in cold, hollow, dead voices, blood endlessly pouring from their smiling mouths. The emaciated figures moved towards him, shaking violently. With outstretched arms, they grabbed Henry, their faces so close that he could smell the rot on their breath. Give him to us. You don't deserve him. Henry woke up in his bed, his son still fast asleep. Every night that thing got closer to his son. He wouldn't let them have him. Maybe it's what Henry deserved, but not what Jacob deserved. He was going to get them out of here. Jacob, wake up, he said, shaking his son. Daddy, we have to leave now. It's not safe here. Henry picked up a couple of things and dragged his boy outside. Daddy, what about Mr. Joey? His son said, tearing free of his grip and running inside the house. Henry stood in horror. Damn bear. He called his son's name and ran after him. After he reached the door to their bedroom, he saw Mr. Joey on the floor, its head separated from its body. Henry opened the door to see the thing holding Jacob in the air. Its gaping wide mouth was dripping with saliva, and a long black tongue slid out of its crooked smile and wrapped around Jacob's body. It smiled the madman's smile, 
and slid out of the window and carried Jacob away into the darkness.